Our text for this afternoon's sermon comes from Lord's Day 11, which can be found on page 526 of our Book of Praise. In special attention, we'll be focusing on question and answer 30. It's under a new heading, God, the Son, and our Redemption. This is our confession. Why is the Son of God called Jesus, that is, Savior? Because he saves us from all our sins, and because salvation is not to be sought or found in anyone else. Do those who seek their salvation or well-being in saints, in themselves, or in anywhere else, also believe in the only Savior, Jesus? No. Though they boast of him in words, they in fact deny the only Savior, Jesus. For one of two things must be true. Either Jesus is not a complete Savior, or those who by true faith accept the Savior must find in him all that is necessary for their salvation. After the sermon, we will sing of Psalm 62, stanzas 3 and 4. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, two Sundays ago, Brother Vindelden read a sermon on Lord's Day 10 that touched on the point that Jesus' saving work does not benefit us only in the life to come. Instead, his work touches the very here and now of our daily existence. That's because the problems in this life are a result of our fall into sin. Death and all that leads to death, including sickness and accidents, Adversity and tribulation are God's response to our sin in paradise and the sins of today, although Jesus has taken away the cause of our eternal hunger and misery, which is sin, so that there is no curse of God left for God's own in this grind of life. God is instead my caring Father, who leads me in wisdom from where I am to where he wants me to be. And that road along in which he leads me in wisdom can include discipline from God intended to make me grow in him. This is the gospel that touches the here and now of our daily existence. Jesus is my savior today. The second question and answer of our Lord's Day seeks now to flesh out the significance of that gospel. The catechism asks, do those who seek their salvation and well-being from saints in themselves or anywhere else also believe in the only Savior Jesus. And we can fill in the blank. Do those who seek the sense of well-being in alcohol in fact believe in their only Savior Jesus? Are those Christians who seek their happiness in money or in holidays acting consistently with their confession that Jesus is their Savior? If I need alcohol in order to have a sense of well-being or if I need a spouse in order to be happy, if I need material comforts in order to feel content, do I then, in effect, believe in the only Savior, Jesus? Those are the questions of this part of the Lord's Day. The answer of our Lord's Day is a breathtaking no. The Lord has told us in his word, and so we confess it in our Lord's Day, that Jesus is a complete Savior. And so those who seek salvation, well-being, happiness, via any other means other than Jesus alone, in fact, deny the only Savior. I preach to you the gospel of the only Savior as a source of our well-being in daily life. I summarize the sermon with this theme. Jesus alone provides happiness for this life 
and the life to come. In the first place, we will take a look at the historical background to this confession. And in the second place, we will take a look at the challenge for today in this confession. So in the first place, the historical background. May a person who confesses that Jesus Christ seek a sense of well-being in alcohol, money, sex, or anything else? To give the question some color, to focus the question, I think it would be worthwhile to take a moment and look at the historical background of question and answer 30. Why did Caspar Livianus and Zacharias Eurynius include this question and answer in the catechism that they wrote for Frederick III, the elector of the Palatinate? As we draw out the answer to that question, please remember that the elector wanted a catechism in order to instruct and comfort the common people of his kingdom, people like you and me. These people had been taught through the generations that God was a vengeful judge, hating and punishing sin. So the Roman church had taught these people that something had to be done if you wished to escape God's punishments, both in this life and in the life to come. What had to be done? Simple, said the church to the people of the land. In order to appease this just and vengeful God, you must do good works. By doing good works, you could stay on God's good side. Keep God happy with you. And so keep the way open for divine blessings both in this life and in the life to come. The people were taught that Jesus is Savior. And that's fine and dandy, but if you want happiness in this life and in the life to come, if you want God's favor to shine upon you, you must keep God happy through your works. So you had to say your prayers so many times a day. You had to go to Mass so many times a week. You can buy an indulgence from the local indulgence merchant. And through means of activities as these, your conscience would be relieved of its burdens. You would know that God was happy with you and that you could receive a sense of well-being and his blessings in this life. But we know what happened. Try though they might to keep oneself in God's favor through works, the common people did not come to the point where they felt happy and content. They did not feel God's hand of blessing upon them. Here was a slavery. Here was an oppressive exercise in futility. By good works, one could not achieve a sense of happiness, a sense that holy God was pleased with you. But by grace of God, the Reformation swept through Europe. Persons and families for years enslaved to the notion that a sense of well-being a sense of God's pleasure dependent on themselves, were set free from this slavery with the glorious gospel of question and answer 29. Jesus is Savior. Jesus Christ has taken away our sins and so satisfied the justice of God. So there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. This now, the gospel of the elector of the Palinate wanted his people to hear and know and to believe so they might have comfort. They might have a sense of well-being and peace in the struggles of daily life. That is what the elector got. Caspar Livianus and Zacharias Eurenius wrote question and answer in the catechism the elector asked them to write. But see, the two men and the elector with them were not satisfied with that. They also answered question and answer 30. Why? Because the matter of how one receives a sense of well-being in this life had to be spelled out in more detail. The common people of the Palatinate had felt 
been fed the leaven of Roman Catholicism for years and generations. And so the gospel, confessed in question and answer 29, had to be more precisely focused on the specific habits of the people. It was still in them. They had been raised with it to seek God's favor by appealing to saints for help, by sweating at good works. But if Jesus the Savior delivered us from sin and its consequences, what concrete implications does that gospel have for asking a saint for his share of his extra good works? Was there still room for that thought? In practice, the people thought yes. Hence the question, do those who believe in the only Savior, Jesus, seek a sense of well-being from the good works you borrow from saints? Do those who believe in the only Savior, Jesus, seek God's favor through the buying of indulgences? The people of the Palatinate received a clear answer, no, in answer to that question. The Lord's Day is insistent. Anyone who seeks his temporal or external well-being through the good works of himself or another, or through the buying of indulgences or some other gimmick, does not really believe that Jesus alone saves. That is simple scripture. Paul faults the Galatian saints. He says they believe in Jesus Christ, but think that they need to do a particular set of works in order to gain God's favor. In Galatians 5, it's being circumcised. And he says to them, you have fallen from grace. Galatians 5, verse 4. Yes, it is that simple. The implication of confessing the wealth of question and answer 29 is that I do not seek to make God happy with me through any action on my part. I do not seek to obtain a sense of well-being or divine approval through anything I do. If somehow I do not find in Jesus all that is necessary for my salvation, both in the life to come as well as in this life, then I in fact deny the only Savior, Jesus. Then I remain stuck in my sins. I still live under the load of God's wrath on sin, and so face not heaven, but hell. That is what Paul says. You have fallen from grace. Question and answer 30 then was a call to the people of the Palatinate to make sure that they looked for salvation and well-being, not to saints or themselves or anywhere else, but they looked for God's favor through Jesus' blood. This question and answer is a call to self-examination. If I say that I believe in Jesus, am I then, in fact, also consistent, banking on Jesus alone, seeking my daily well-being and my external salvation with no one else or nothing else? With that bit of history in mind, we'll move on to our second point, the challenge for today. In the time that the Catechism was written, the people took God's presence seriously. They knew God was real, was everywhere present at all time. They also saw a connection between the struggles of this life and the God of heaven and earth. They knew from scripture that God was responding to the things that they were doing. So in the face of their sins, they set out to appease this God, make him happy with them through good works and so obtain his blessings for their daily lives. A sense of well-being. 
Our times are different. Society teaches us to think of God as absent from the nitty-gritty of this life. That's our society. And so we too are conditioned to divorce religion from daily struggles. So when we have a problem, be it with marriage or work or health or the tax department, what do we do? In typical 21st century Western mentality, we cast about for ways and means and how we can solve the problem. The habit of the day has grown onto us. We look within this life to find ways and means to solve the problems of this life. So, your marriage doesn't glow. Seek a counselor in, the, in town somewhere. You can't make your payments? Tell your tale of woe to some government agent. You're distressed because you see no purpose in life. Don't like yourself or your lot? Can't handle the crisis you're in? Find a drink, a drug, a girl. It will give you relief. Drown your anxieties. And that's how our society seeks salvation and relief from the troubles of today. How it seeks its sense of well-being. And we in the church are learning to do the same. In the congregation, our brothers and sisters convinced that the way to a sense of happiness and well-being is to have a nicer car, or to have a one-up over a brother, or to win a heart of that particular girl, or to find the right doctor to work healing. Like the people of the Palinate, it is in us to seek our sense of happiness and well-being from something we can do. Since that's the case, congregation, it's imperative for us to realize that God is not far from this life always. In every moment, we are confronted with God. The God who controls all things has his hand so much in all that happens that it's not ultimately with the unpleasant neighbor that we have to deal with or with the pressures of sickness or loneliness. In every trial we face in this life, it is first that we are dealing with God. Always, he is here. Never are we outside of his nearness. Psalm 139 says, If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the utmost part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. That's why, congregation, it is so foolish in the face of trials to fail to consider him, to bank on our own strength to solve a problem, to turn to a government support agency to help us handle the problem, to drown a problem under the flood of alcohol. All have this one fundamental error in common, and that is that salvation from the pressures of the problem is sought in the wrong place. Sickness, struggles, and strife, it all comes from sin. It's all God's response to sin. And that is why in the midst of sickness and struggles and strife, it is to God we must turn. We are dealing with his hand of pressure. That is why the first thing a Christian must do in the face of trials is to go to God in prayer. It is to God that we have to go. It is he who sends this trial on our path. And that is why we must ask God for his answer to the problem he sets before us. 
And God's answer, brothers and sisters, is invariably this. I gave my son to take, away, to take your sin away. Now, my child, will you believe in the face of the trial I put in your path that there is still no condemnation for you? It is my promise to you in the covenant and sealed to you in your holy baptism. Will you now believe that you are safe in my fatherly hands? Will you trust that I will carry you, that I will provide relief? Or will you today, in the heat of your trial, decline to believe my covenant promises to you? Decline to entrust yourself to me and instead seek relief from the pressures through the devices of your own making? You see, congregation, every affliction is a test from God. A test is whether we seek our help in the name of the Lord, yes or no. That is, every trial confronts me with the question whether I believe that Jesus is in fact Savior. Whether I believe that the Son of God, in fact, paid for my sins so that there is no condemnation for me. Believe that even in the pressures of this life, God is my Father for Jesus' sake, and I am totally safe with him. That is the question that God lays before me every time I think that I have evidence that God is angry with me. Do I, in fact, believe that the crisis I am in is the working of my loving Father prompting me to greater growth in him? Do I believe that the Father has the answers for my question in his word? And that the only way to well-being and relief in my trial is to seek his answers? Or do I think in terms of God being detached from my circumstance? He doesn't really involve himself in the daily nitty-gritty of life. Do I think in terms of me needing to find my own answers to my problems? Each affliction is a test. Do I pursue happiness and well-being by leaning on my own capabilities? Leaning on the capabilities of my lawyer? On the liberality of support agencies? On the strength of my money, my mind, my mouth, or my muscles? That's the question. Do those who seek relief from life's troubles, from government or on their own abilities, or on the bottle, believe in their only Savior, Jesus? The Lord's answer, brothers and sisters, is categorical. It is with God that we have to go every moment of our existence. So it is to God we need to turn time and time again for relief, for help, for well-being. Every time we fail to do that, we in fact deny our own confession. We deny that Jesus is in fact Savior. It is so a complete Savior that those who by true faith accept the Savior must find in him all that is necessary for their salvation. It will just not do to think that Jesus gives salvation for the life to come, while the bottle gives a sense of well-being for today. It will just not do to think that Jesus reconciles to God, and meanwhile depend on our own clever mind, smooth tongue, good connections, to obtain relief from the promises or the problems God sends in this life. It is to God that we have to turn, no matter the circumstance, and so always, always, to him, it is him that we need to turn and then seek his favor through the saving work of Jesus Christ. Then, with our hand in his, walk the way that he has specified in his word and trust that he will ensure that not a hair falls from our heads unless it serves for our good. That trust, 
that Jesus has reconciled me to God and that I am so safe in his gracious hands prompts the very sense of well-being and peace that the elector wanted for his people of his realm. This does not mean, brothers and sisters, though, that there is no place in this life for seeking help from support groups, doctors, or counselors. Help from around us is a gift of God's grace. But I trust, congregation, that you recognize that there's an order to things. Neither support groups or counselors or lawyers or any such thing can provide relief from trials, for first it is with God that I have to turn. My trials come from him. And to have a good relationship with God, we need to believe that our sins are forgiven in the blood of Jesus Christ as long as God remains angry with me, I can throw all the money, resources, and beer of the world at our problems. But it will not get us out from God's anger. As long as his curse remains on account of my sins, my problem shall not ultimately go away. As I solve one problem in an area of life, his curse shall express itself somewhere else. It is only when I am reconciled to God through the sacrifice of Jesus, that the curse is gone from the problems I face. And that reconciliation, through Jesus' work, produces a sense of peace, well-being, and salvation. For there is today no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And then, once that forgiveness is there with the resulting peace, then congregation, I am also able to accept what the Lord in wisdom has put on our path. For when I know that Jesus is my Savior, when I know God as my Father, yes, then I see a loving Father at work in my life. A Father who gives me what He in wisdom determines I need. So I don't despair at my trials. I don't strike out in desperation to solve the problems this way or that. Instead, there's a peace from God that settles me, that comforts me, I know I'm safe in my Father's gracious hands. That peace, that contentment, that sense of well-being described in the Lord's day. And when that peace is there, a peace rooted in the work of Jesus Christ, then, congregation, we may count on the blessing of the Lord as we seek to make use of the opportunities that God places on our path to solve the needs we have. Prayerfully, in keeping with the instructions of God's word, we may make use of our minds our money and our mouths to overcome the troubles we face. We may use the resources in the church, in the community and elsewhere. But we understand that using these resources is no lo longer a matter of seeking to obtain well-being. We have that well-being, that peace in our hearts in the midst of our troubles, a state of no condemnation because of the work of Jesus the Savior and because we have that well-being, we may work with the opportunities that the Lord places on our path, opportunities to improve our lot in life. This, dear congregation, is the thrust of David's words in Psalm 62. The urge of the whole psalm is to lean on God and God alone in the trials of life. Fill in what you will, what David's trial was. The psalm is so vague that any suggested difficulty will suffice. But David's answer was always the same. My soul waited silently for God alone, 
for my expectation is from him. Politicians, lawyers, businessmen, on the scales, they are lighter than vapor. Oppression, robbery, riches, they are an empty hope. Relief, peace, well-being, and salvation, it comes from God alone. So, O oh people, trust this God of grace. Pour out your heart before his face and at all time hope for his favor. The people of the Platinate long ago had this gospel set before them in the words of our Lord's Day to their comfort and well-being. The saints of Edmonton confess the same today for our comfort and well-being. Amen.